I traveled uh, Thursday, my wife and I and the, the four kids, we went to Big Bear. Um, and uh, it was the day that they closed down the Prim Pass. What, sh- what, what <laughs> the, the, the cabin in Big Bear, it's usually three and a half hours to get there. It took us eight hours. And we didn't know it was going to take eight hours. Our GPS said five and change. So we didn't really prepare uh, for an eight-hour trip. So I ate, and I'm not even kidding, because somebody from a youth trip uh, donated a bunch of these, like, snacks from a leftover youth trip. I ate, and I'm not kidding, I think 25 small beef jerky sticks. So Slim Jims, yeah, 25. Do you know what that feels like? Right now, still, this morning, I was like, oh, God, bless my heart and my stomach. It's extraordinary, though. It was a really fun time. We went snowboarding. My wife went skiing. Brixton went snowboarding. And uh, the only time he got frustrated was when he couldn't go fast. And so we had him on the bunny slope. And when he would be going slow, he would take his board and he would hit it on the ground and he would yell, how crazy, my son is an absolute daredevil, and um, I, I read this quote last night when I was preparing uh, a little bit uh, for the teaching, and I wanted to re- uh, read it to you guys. Anybody on Pinterest? I'm on Pinterest, and I send people some quotes I see on Pinterest, because they do it on these cool, cute boards and stuff, and creative stuff. Anyways, here's the quote. I never realized how annoying I could be until I created a miniature version of myself and started to argue with it daily. And it just, uh, it reminded me of my four kids because I love them. I love them. But Brixton reminds me of myself so much. He has so many questions and, uh, and it's extraordinary. But there's those really cute times where you see them begin to model what you do. Uh, any parents out there, you begin to see your kids do to you what you did to them. And my little daughter, Presley, uh, when we were at the cabin, I, I, I brought her to the bathroom because she said she had to go and she's too... Uh, and uh, she went to the bathroom, and then after she was done going to the bathroom, I said, you know what, sweetie, I got to go to the bathroom too, and so uh, I started to go to the bathroom, and she goes up to me, and she goes, oh, good job, daddy. So I, <laughs> I just loved that. If you need somebody to cheer you on while you're using the restroom, my daughter Presley, she is good for the job. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, I wanted to talk, though, today about, um, we're in, we were in the middle of a serious family culture, and there will be a little bit of family talk, but we've done it for about two months. So I'll actually be talking about um, our vision for the new year, and I'll be talking really about, we set a lot of goals, New Year's resolutions, but I want to I focus on what shapes us and what molds us. Uh, and I want to talk about that with looking towards the new year and looking towards some of those those times in our life where we set goals and we set objectives. And what I've noticed is that more than goals, we need to look at the things that actively shape, influence, and mold us every single day for us to see a different reality by the end of 2020 than we saw at the end of 2019. So envisioning, recognizing what has shaped us, influenced us, Uh, in 2019 and maybe even before 2019 and asking ourselves the question, where do we want to be by 2020? Where does, by the end of 2020, where is God leading us to be? And and what shapers, molders, influencers, or what transformative process do I need to yield and submit myself to? So I'm going to read a scripture and I'm going to focus on a story in the Bible that 
um, is, is a real challenging. Does anybody read certain Bible stories and you're challenged by it? And, I, and sometimes I'm saddened by some of the stories and some of the characters' choices in these stories. Um, so I'm going to read Genesis 27, 6 through 10, uh, 27 through 29, 38 through 40. We're going to dabble in a, a few of these scriptures here. But the story is about, uh, is about Jacob and the blessing uh, that he got from Isaac uh, and the, the, the way that Rebecca coached him, his mother. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit, but all of it is within this lens and this scope of who are we partnering with actively. I talked with, um, to, I talked with somebody the last few days, and we were talking about music. And, um, and my dad was talking to, it was actually, yeah, our, a little bravery, uh, Lawrence's daughter, and he was talking to her about the kind of music uh, she listens to and, and the dynamic of what music does and the way it impacts us and shapes us. Uh, if, if any of you grew up in the church, you probably heard some version of this talk. Uh, and, um, and so there was this conversation going on and this talk going on, and I realized how interesting it was to hear it from not that I wasn't receiving the talk, but I was hearing the same talk that I had gotten when I was her age from my dad, but I was now hearing it this way towards my niece and uh, his granddaughter. And it was a really interesting kind of a trip a little bit. It was the same talk, right? With the same values embedded in it and the same character and the same, the same kind of perspective. And my, my dad's always done a great job to communicate the why, and not just the rule of it, like don't listen to secular music and that's the end of it or else you're going to hell. <laughs> so he was always really good to say, hey, like why do you listen to it? What, what's the reason? What, are you drawn to it? Do you, have you made an intentional decision to, to know how this music is shaping you and molding you? Are, are you aware of its influence in your life? I thought that was a really interesting question. And, and as I do usually when I hear somebody, you know, being challenged in something, I, I begin to take an inventory of myself. I begin to take an inventory of, of you know, I don't, I don't really listen to music other than worship music. I, I'm not a big musician. I play the ukulele, and I'm just an absolute master of five chords. Uh, and by master, I mean not at all. I just, you know, and so I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a huge, like my, my iPod playlist is not very long. And I, it's just, you know, I don't have an iPod either, so I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but, you know, these, I, I begin to think of other things. I began to think of other things that shaped and molded me and continue to shape and mold me. And then I began to think about our family here and I asked ourselves, myself the question, I said, what would it look like if we began to ask ourselves, by the end of 2020, if I submitted and I yielded myself to these following things, what would my life look like? So I wrote down some things that I thought would be interesting to maybe think about and maybe even ask myself, what would I look like if I were to be shaped entirely by these things or maybe a mixture of these things? And maybe you want to write some of them down and think about them a little bit later. But I wrote down some of these things and I said, what would it look like if, if my mom and my dad or our mom and dads shaped us and molded us entirely? Just had full, full reign to shape and mold us entirely. Uh, we've seen, uh, I think, the, the Friends show. There's one point where Monica gets, uh, gets given control of Rachel's dating choices. Have you guys seen this episode? If you're not a, friend of fans, friend, a fan of Friends, that's okay. But there's an episode where one of, he gives, she gives her full control. So you, I make bad dating decisions, so you make all of my dating decisions. 
And I'm actively trying to do that with some people in my life. Uh, but um, I asked myself the question, what would it look like if our moms and our dads shaped entirely our life? And I asked actually next, another question I thought was really interesting. What would it look like if the church got to shape my life entirely? Oh, that was a really interesting one. Like, what if I had to give, like, the rundown of my choices, the rundown of my careers and everything, the rundown of my giving, the rundown of my character choices, my language, my actions, my investments, my entertainment, and what if the church got to shape all of it? Oh, that was a really interesting one. And I, wrote, I went on to write some other ones. What if my financial advisors, businessmen, investors, doctors, trainers, what if these guys got full shaping narrative of my life? What if the, the people that entertain me got full shaping value of my life? What if uh, my, the athletes that we look at got permission to totally shape us, to totally mold us? What would it look like if our friends completely shaped us or our coworkers? And you begin to ask these questions, and what I really liked about them is when you begin to look at them, I actually be think you begin to see that they are in some way shaping you. And most of us, it's not exclusive to one person. Most of us, it's embedded in a lot of people or a lot of influences. But a lot of us can say like, oh, that person has a significant shaping influence in my life. That person uh, has a significant input to what I do. That person completely can change my attitude. That person can change my thoughts. That person can change my behavior. When I spend more time with them, I start to cuss more, or I start to have a bad attitude. I start to be negative. Have you ever recognized these relationships in your life? That when you spend time with them, you realize that they begin to shape and mold you. They begin to influence you in a certain way. As I begin to look at this, I, I begin to realize that this question of who is shaping me, who is molding me, who is influencing us is incredibly important to be intentional with going into 2020. Because you can set goals, but if you continue to be shaped by the same thing, you're going to get into the same spot you were in. So if you have the same shapers, molders, and influencers that you had in 2019, your 2020 and the end of it will look very similar to the end of your 2019. It's not about your goals. It's about who's shaping you. It's about what's shaping you. It's about how yielded you are to God shaping you. The scripture I bring up a lot, Romans 12, 2, talks about the transformation, talks about God's renewal process in our life of forming us and shaping us. And this process is not just a, encompassed in one year. It's encompassed in a, in a lifetime journey with God to say, I am going to be intentional about what influences and shaping hands I am yielding and submitting myself to. When we take inventory of this and when we have intentional choice, it adjusts. It adjusts where we end up. It adjusts our destinations. Uh, I looked up some of the things about goals and I thought they were really interesting because goals have these incredible dynamics in our life where we set them, and, and sometimes with New Year's resolution, I looked up a lot of them. I looked up the top 10 pop, most popular New Year's resolutions, and maybe these have been on yours, but uh, they took a poll of a certain amount of people, and uh, this is the order of the most popular. Number one was diet or eat healthier. That was 71% of the people put that as number one. Number two was exercise more. Number three was lose weight. Number four was save more and spend less. Number five was learn a new skill or hobby. Number six was to quit smoking. 
Number seven was to read more. Number eight was find another job. <laughs> I, that's not on my list. I like this job. Uh, number nine was drink less alcohol. And number 10 was spend more time with family and friends. That was last. So <laughs> I found this really interesting. And I looked up, why do goals go wrong? Why do New Year's resolutions go wrong? And actually, I'm not even going to share any of them with you because I read just like three or four websites and by the end of it, I was flooded with information. There was a list of 45, 45 reasons. How is that supposed to help me be better at goals? 45 reasons? That's like a theological dissertation of goal failure. So I looked at those 45. Another one was five. Another one was 10. They were all different. <laughs> they were all different. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to be better at goals with these lists. My New Year's resolution is just to memorize all those lists now. And I don't know what I'm doing or how to change or how to grow because I've realized this, is that all the research I did, goals don't change you. They don't. New Year's resolutions don't change you. Goals don't change you. Are these things bad? No, of course not. They're great. Set them, have them in mind, but understand the engine and the fire of transformation is something different than just having a goal. It's different. Now, the nitty-gritty of transformation, the nitty-gritty of change is different than just wanting to be something different. A desire to be different does not translate as being different. And this is confusing to us on our journey as Christians. Oftentimes, we're like, why am I not different? I know what I'm doing wrong, and I know what I want to change, and I know what I want to be. How come I'm not different? So I read this scripture in the Bible that I thought was really interesting, this story in the Bible. And if you want to turn there, we're going to jump into it. Verse 6, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. And what she heard, she heard Isaac speaking to Esau and saying, go prepare a meal for me. Go hunting, prepare a meal for me. I'm going to give you my blessing. Basically, he recognized he was coming to the end of his life and it was time. It was time to bless his son Esau, his eldest. And in this, yeah, Rebecca says in verse 7, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son Obey my voice. Obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare from them, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So this is uh, Esau's mom. Esau's mom is challenging, man. If I heard my mom say this to my sibling when I'm the, the rightful birth order inheritor of the blessing, if I heard my mom betray me and say this to one of my siblings, that would have been challenging. That would have been so challenging, so devastating, which he eventually heard about it. But as I began to recognize this and I began to meditate on this influence in Jacob's life, I began to realize this phrase, obey my voice as I command you, was prominent and significant for all of us to reflect on. Obey my voice. Here's what I know about who we all are right now. 
It is a result of the voices we have obeyed. It is. You may not have consciously said, I'm going to obey this. But nonetheless, you have gone through the process of yielding and submitting yourself in obedience to voices in your life. It may have been the voice of God. It may have been the voice of the enemy. It may have been the voice of a friend that represented the enemy. It may have been a voice of a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad or a grandpa or grandma. Doesn't matter. The reality is, is that there's voices in our lives, some human and some spiritual, that have literally caused us to be who we are right now. They've shaped us. They've molded us. They've influenced us. They've determined my shape. Even the, what I'm clothing I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing a corduroy shirt. I, I told somebody it looked like a 70s couch got cut up and then put into, you know those couches? Those were cool, man. I want one of those. I actually bought one for our youth group when I was a youth pastor, and we had this really cool corduroy couch. Was it corduroy? No, it was suede. Oh, whatever. Oh, they did destroy it fast. That was common. But... But even what I'm wearing and, and how I'm speaking, like the, the rug that we have right here or these bulb lights that we have in here, uh, the TVs hung right here, the drum cage the way it is right here, uh, the, the things we don't do in here, the things we choose to do in here, all of these things, they came from choice, but really they came from an influence in my life and others' life that had us go, yes, yes, I like that. And for whatever the reasons are, you said yes to whatever voice you said yes to. It's so important that you recognize that your shape right now is based on your yieldedness to the voices in your life. The first thing you got to do, take inventory. What voices have you yielded to? What are the voices in your life that have shaped you and molded you? You'll notice that they show up in your language. You'll notice that if you're negative, if you're very negative, You'll notice that that comes from a certain voice or voices in your life that have shaped that perspective you carry. If you're very tough, you don't like talking about your emotions and you stuff those things down and you deny them because they are weakness and you eat those things for breakfast and you stuff them down deep. If this is your approach, you've got to recognize that it is the voices in your life that have shaped this behavior and this process. So there's voices in our life. We've all got them. We've all had them up to this point. We're all going to continue to have them. The only difference is, is are we yielding ourselves to the voices of God caught up in people or the voices of mankind that will shape and mold us? See, because there is a will of God that desires to shape us. There is a will and there is a nature of God that desires to transform us and it transforms us by the renewal of our mind. There is a will that wants to be expressed and pronounced in our formation. But if we don't take inventory and recognize the hands that shape and mold us, the voices that we're obeying, then it's going to be very difficult for us to express the will of God because we'll be expressing the will of whatever voice we are submitted to. And we'll see in a moment that the voice really did set Jacob up for a couple of things. It did set him up for some hardship. For a while, Esau chased down Jacob, hunting him to try and kill him. But also it set him up to receive a blessing 
from his father Isaac, and that's significant and pronounced. And what must be understood is the voices in our life set us up to be blessed or to be cursed. Whatever we obey, whatever we come in alignment with in our life and we say yes to that voice and we yield our behavior, we yield our future, we yield our attitude, we yield our time spent, our resources, whatever we yield to truly does produce in our life a blessing or a curse. And this is where it becomes a little bit more of a lifestyle not just following rules. It becomes a little bit more of a real expression of relationship with God, not just a set of standards that we've got to try and run to and we've got to try and mimic or mirror. And then when we truly begin to ask ourselves relationship questions with God, like what's your voice and what is it pronouncing and what is it shaping in my life, we begin to ask ourselves what voices in our life have shaped something different than what the voice of God was trying to shape in my life. Have you guys recognized voices in your life that shape something different than God wants to shape? See, oftentimes we ask ourselves, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I believe this is the consequence decision. Like it's asking the question, like what did I do wrong after I lost a game? It's, it's not so much proactive, it's reaction, it's reactionary. I believe a proactive approach is what is shaping my behavior. What is literally causing my form to be adjusted so then I behave according to my form is a more profound question than asking, why am I behaving in my current form? See, to behave as you are, to behave in the current form you are, it's no surprise. See, when somebody stuffs bad experiences and denies them, it's not surprising they're angry. It's not surprising they have outbursts of rage at different times. That's not surprising that their behavior just lashed out irrationally. It's not surprising. It's not surprising at all. So the question isn't, why did I lash out? The question is, why do I carry the emotional predisposition to stuff negative experiences and not process them, deal with them, forgive, or let go of them? The question is, what is causing this form not why did this form behave in a way that is much like it should behave. So it's not surprising that an unforgiving person doesn't forgive. The surprise or the thing to ask is, how did I become the form of an unforgiving person? It's not surprising that an angry person lashes out angrily. The question to ask isn't, why did I act angrily? The question to ask is, why am I an angry person? What voices have shaped this? What practices do I carry that, that create a fuel and an engine of anger? What unforgiveness do I exercise constantly? And you'll recognize that you run into some challenges because the way you are, the form that you have right now, you actually created it because it was the most rational response to your situation that you had in the moment. So you see Jacob here, he's very interesting. He says in verses 27, so he, says, so he came near and kissed him. And this was uh, Isaac as kissing Jacob because Jacob did everything his mother asked. He went and he, he got food for her. She prepared a great meal. She even got him like goat's fur because Esau was hairy. Uh, and so he put goat on him so that he would feel like Esau and smell like Esau. This is pretty jacked up stuff. 
I was honestly like, oh, poor Esau, man. I really felt bad for him by the end of this story. Um, but, you know, he's got his part, I guess. So he sold his birthright, all that good stuff. So, and Isaac, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, so the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew. And this is where he blesses him. And this is so interesting to me because he says, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. And in 29 says, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is so significant. See, Jacob submitted and yielded himself to the voice of his mother and it got him in a place where he could be blessed like this. Now also, it got him into a place where he would also be chased by Esau for many years and he would go through his own character experiences where he would eventually be cheated by Laban and Laban would send him through the ringer uh, seven years and seven years and he went through his own reaping of his behavior, a harvest of like-kinded treatment. So you see through all of this and in verse 38, Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. I find this so interesting. Because in, in one sense, Isaac really did communicate something significant for Esau as well. He said, at some point, you're going to break free of this thing. At some point, this is what the reality is going to be for you. And what's interesting about all of this is that Isaac set up these two phrases and these two short paragraphs that would then set up the dynamic for each of these people for the remaining years going forward for a while. And I find it really interesting that the voices that we engage in truly do determine something significant for our future. It really does shape our future. And this is something that I find that we often underestimate in our lives, is the voices that we yield to shape our future. It's just a fact. The voices we yield to shape our future. And if you don't like where you are right now, then it's time for you to get deliverance from voices that are shaping you up until this point. There's no other nice way to say it. There's no other like pretty put a bow on it thing. I guess I'll do it with a nice dance. You know what I mean? But the reality is, is that whatever voice is shaping you will determine your future. So therefore, wherever you're at right now, find the voices that have caused this. Find them, identify them. And if they're the voice of the enemy, if they're the voice of lust, if they're the voice of rage, if they're the voice of hurt, if they're the voice of pain, get delivered. Get delivered like the Lord's Prayer says, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Remove these things from me. Remove me from this place. 
I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to look like this anymore. I don't want to be shaped by unforgiveness. I don't want to be shaped by rage. I don't want to be shaped by mistrust. I don't want to be shaped by doubt anymore. I'm tired of the voices plaguing me in those places, right? I'm tired of these voices that cultivate and ruminate unforgiveness in my life, that ruminate unbelief in my life. You see, there's this phrase and there's this idea that the, that the pain of, the, 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 somebody won't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. You heard this phrase? My dad's mentor communicated it. He said, it's such an interesting one to me because you find it to be really true in your life and others' lives. So we don't change until it, it becomes really inconvenient to stay the same, more inconvenient than the inconvenience of change. I find it very interesting. And I've sought for most of my life to speed up my dissatisfaction for staying the same. I've sought for most of my life to partner with the heart of God and say, God, I don't want to stay here longer than I should. I don't want to stay in a place of recognizing my brokenness and not changing or walking with God in a significant way there because I'm used to it, I'm comfortable with it, and I like it. I do believe that it is pretty much default humanity that we stay where it's easiest as far as our behavior goes, or we stay where, with whatever bred success. I do believe that's default humanity, but I believe we can learn something different. I believe that we can engage in voices that pull us and cultivate and call us out of patterns of sinfulness, patterns of brokenness, patterns of rage, patterns of unforgiveness. I do believe that we can be intentional to say, that voice right there, that voice right there, I am running after it. I'm knocking on its door. I'm asking for it to shape me and mold me and change me. That voice right there, I am pursuing with a reckless abandon. See, in the Bible where it says, love the Lord your God with all your soul with all your strength, with all your might. It's literally saying those things inside of you, those things which yearn for and long for things, shift them and focus them on a pursuit of God to say, your voice I live by, your voice I'm shaped by, and your voice will I pursue. And it provides, I think, context to everybody else's voice. It goes like this for me. If your voice is speaking what he's speaking, yeah. If it's not, I love you, but your voice has no place to author me. Does this make sense? We don't need disdain. We don't need elitism perspectives to protect us from voices that aren't God's voices. It's simple. My devotion is to him. I'm married to him in my character transformation. So I love you. I don't need to repel you. I could spend time around you because my conviction to the voice of God shaping me is so much deeper than the, than the temptation, lust path that you present to me. And there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I recognize this. And you know what's interesting? I recognize this in me too. Uh, somebody came up to me uh, at Starbucks today and... Uh, I was, because I was at Starbucks today, I always go to Starbucks before right here. If you want to stop by and say hi before first service. 
we could have a big old party in there. That would be fun. We call it like, maybe call it service zero. We could have like service zero in there. We could start to put it on signs, you know, that'd be fun. But I was in there and this person that we, Jess and I had been reaching out to a little bit was in there and they don't go here or anything like that. But uh, she came up, she sat down and she, she, she I got a question for you. I said, oh yeah, sure, go for it. Uh, and uh, she started to ask me some questions and she started to ask me these questions. I thought it was so interesting because there was this pursuit, you know, there was this pursuit you could clearly see. There was this desire to understand. There's this desire to know she was raised uh, Islamic and then uh, she, she, she likes Joel Osteen. Those were the two <laughs> significant facts of this thing. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And uh, so I know <laughs> it was interesting. But she's like, you know, it's interesting. And then like, how, she's like, how do you feel about questions? I was like, oh, I love questions. My son asked me all kinds of questions <laughs> all the time. She began to ask these questions, and I began to realize that there was this, there was this challenge. She was seeking to, to find something. She was seeking to, to understand something. She was seeking to receive something, and she hadn't yet received it up to this point. She was looking for somebody that would be friendly to her pursuit, and her pursuit looked like asking questions. I found it really interesting that she, in her experience, said, you know what's tough is that every time I've talked to a Christian about this, and this isn't how all Christians are, this is just her experience. I know a lot of Christians that are very open to lots of questions and handle them real great. She said, in my experience, Christians get really upset and offended by questions. She goes, but I got a lot of them, so I don't know what to do. And I thought, that's so interesting to me. I really think it's interesting, you know? I think it's interesting the way that we handle uh, somebody that, that, that isn't polished yet. I think it's interesting the way we handle ourselves when we're not yet polished. And, and, I, and I think what's challenging, and we dabble with like a commentary into it a lot. Like in worship, we're like, you know, God doesn't care. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And some churches are just like heavy grace, you know. And then some churches are just like heavy love messages a lot, which I guess might be us. I'm not sure. But the love Jesus, love people is our, our cornerstones here. But uh, I find it interesting that typically it's perceived as either you're, you're loving or you're truthful. But I find it really interesting that, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about it, it says, speak the truth in love. And it says the byproduct of this, so we may grow. So we may grow up into that thing which is Christ. See, the equation of growth with God is not just the posture of I love you. It's the posture of I love you with the, with the content of truth perfectly applied to your life. Which means this, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and that's never changing. It's never changing. But also, his truth, the words of his mouth, the narrative he's speaking to you is powerful to transformation. It says it's sharp like a double-edged sword separating light from dark, bone from marrow. It gets in there and it separates the sin from the life. And all the while, you're never, ever doubting that he loves you. Because it's the truth in love. It's like when I gave my, my kids presents for Christmas, and I think I've shared this analogy before. I wrapped it in really cool wrapping paper, and I'm the best wrapper the world's ever seen. I just lied. 
<laughs> so bad. If there's not a hole in the wrapping paper, success. <laughs> and I know my wife loves when I wrap, so I wrap almost everything for her, unless it's just like, that's outrageous. Although I got her a big standing mirror thing, and I wrapped it. I, I confess, I did, I did get Tana to help me. <laughs> I brought the mirror to her house, or I got it delivered there, and I said, hey, I need your help. <laughs> and then she, she helped me, and I got a compliment on the wrapping. I didn't tell you. She loved my wrapping. It was very testimony time, guys, real testimony. It was in the details. All the trees went the right way. You guys, did you notice that? Success, because <laughs> it would have gone the opposite way because she made me repent of my behavior that I was putting the trees in the wrong way. But anyways, see, I, I obeyed that voice of rapping. There you go. That's how we tie that in. But in all of this, I, I, there's this incredible recognition that in order for us to understand what voices have shaped us, only look to the evidence of your life. Only look to the evidence of your behavior. What does your language look like? Just all of it, not just do you cuss or not cuss, that's sure. But what, are you a half full, half empty person? Are you negative, are you positive? Are you critical? Are you cynical? What does your language look like? Are you willing to edify? Are you willing to encourage? Are you willing to exhort people? Do you reserve encouragement? Do you reserve compliments? What does your language look like? Does it look like the voice of God? Does it look like the language of God? Or does it look like other voices in your life that are in conflict with that voice? I say look to your actions as well. Look to your addictive behaviors. Look to your patterns and your tendencies. Look to these things and notice. See what, they, see what fruit they produce in your life. See them. See the language of your life. See the actions of your life. And begin to ask, oh God, oh, I see that. How are you partnering? How are you transforming me? Because I can guarantee you he is speaking the truth in love to those places. And they're powerful. They're powerful. God carries truth and he carries love. And he carries them perfectly in harmony with one another. Look to the places of spending. This is the one that I find really interesting. Look to the way you spend in entertainment. Look to the way you spend on people and what you spend. Look to the, the places of hobby. Look to where you apply your hard-earned money or maybe not so hard-earned, I'm not sure. But look to where you place your money. It does speak to what you value. It does speak to what you carry a value for. And, and I'm not sitting up here going, hey, I'm going to bring them to me and I'll judge your language, actions, and spending. No, no, no. This is a, something to do between you and God. See, I was playing cards with my, uh, my sister Isabel and my little nephew Jag and a few other people. Jag was, I don't know how old Jag is. He's a kid. And um, he, was, uh, he, was, he was playing this card game. And he kept looking to his mom to what to do. And I kept telling him, hey, think for yourself. You got this. Figure it out. What, what do you want to do? And I kept encouraging him to think for himself. And then, you know, he just kept wanting mom to tell him what the answer was. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't look over here. That's easy. That's the easy way out of this thing. No. What do you think you should do? What is, think, like, think about it. You can take what she thinks and you can weigh it, but decide for yourself. Be intentional to choose what your behavior will be. 
And there's an intentionality that we need to have over our behavior. There's an intentionality we need to have over taking it to God and knowing what it looks like, not just to set goals, not just to have a a fantastic idea of how we're going to be different in 2020, but to authentically partner with God to say, God, I don't even know how to change. I don't know how to change. Can you show me? Can you illuminate those things in my life? Can you cultivate something different? And if you can, I don't know how, what do I do? Do I just stand there passively in worship and wait for you to transform me? Do I put mean people around me that make me feel stupid about what I'm doing? Do I get an accountability partner? That was really popular when I was in youth, accountability partners. JP, did you have an accountability partner? I had an accountability partner. And he didn't do a very good job. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not his fault. <laughs> no, it is his fault. No, I... <laughs> Accountability only. You hold yourself accountable to God. That's just the reality. And somebody can encourage you, and that's awesome. Find those people for sure. Find them actively. that will come alongside and say, hey, how you doing? And then they do the second one. No, 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 how you really doing? You know, one of those? Get those people. They're awesome. They're incredible. They're amazing. There's a bunch in this house, and there's a bunch that do it with me, and it's awesome. It's so important. It's so significant. But I can lie four times in a row if I want to. I can tell them some kind of red herring thing that will distract them from the real issue. We hold ourselves accountable or we don't. That's the reality of it. The accountability partner is first here, and somebody can only, account- somebody can only partner with the accountability that you carry in your own life. You hold yourself accountable and somebody can help you. That's the reality. So what language, actions, and how do we spend? Ask yourself these questions. Create a real understanding of what is shaping you, what's molding you. What voices are you obeying? Because at the end of the day, whatever you yield and submit yourself to, this will produce a blessing or a curse in your life. That's the reality that we saw with Jacob. That's the reality we see all throughout the Bible Whatever you obey and you submit to will determine the outcome of your life. The scripture in the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God. It's the baseline and the foundation of victory over the enemy. Submit to God. What would a 2020 look like that's yielded to God? I don't think it would look entirely like attending church every week alone. I don't think it would just look like tithing and attending. I think it would look like something way more personal, way more profound. I think it would look like those things which have haunted you, plagued you, and determined failure in your life, being transformed in a personal narrative of you walking with God. And I think that's supernatural. I love the miracles of, of physical bodies being healed. Somebody was telling us in the first service after it about how they got healed here. It was awesome. I love those places, the supernatural. But some of the most significant and my favorite observations of the supernatural is somebody's life authentically changing. Authentically changing because the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their life. How many of you guys are down for a 2020 that is transformative? 